Thanks for joining us on the Hope Podcast. Hope Community Church exists to love people where they are and help them grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. By pursuing this relationship together, we can change the world. We have multiple locations, including an online service found at gethope.tv. If you're not from the greater Raleigh-Durham area in North Carolina or near our Agape campus in Haiti, we'd love to still have you be a part of what Hope is up to through our online services. If you do live in our physical area, go to our website at gethope.net to check out where our campuses are located and our service times. Please like and share this with your friends or family. We are so glad you stopped by. Well, what's up, Hope? How we doing? Good. My name's Chase. I'm one of the pastors here. So excited to be with you. Can we just take a moment to celebrate what God did last weekend during our Easter services? Did you guys enjoy that weekend? It was amazing. We had over 4,350 people join us live at one of our campuses. Garner Campus got to meet in the city of Garner for the first time since the pandemic. Look at that shot, it's amazing. And we also had over 3,000 individual families join us online. We don't even know how many people that is, but that's amazing. And more important than all of that, what all of that was for is we have seen over 30 people begin a brand new relationship with Jesus Christ in just the last two weeks. Isn't that amazing? Stories are still coming in, so God is moving, and I'm super excited to see what he does over the coming weeks and months, but this week we are starting a brand new sermon series that we are calling DNA, and we're going to be talking about the characteristics of our church that kind of make us unique, that make hope, hope, and so the part of our DNA that we're going to be talking about this week is big faith. Everyone say big faith. Now, if you live in the country like I do, that's a little confusing because to us, Big Faith is the powerlifting uh, lady that works in Home Depot in the lumber department. So we're not talking about that Big Faith. If you're watching Faith, it is, it's awesome to have you. But we're talking about the Big Faith as in attempting amazing things for God and expecting him to do miraculous things. So if you don't know the story of hope, uh, our church was started with and has been sustained by faith. So big, bold, audacious faith has been a part of our DNA for the past 27 years. And as we enter into the new era of ministry and history here at Hope, we wanna make sure that faith, that sort of faith is central to all that we do. Now the idea of faith and how God interacts with faith and uses faith to accomplish stuff is in many ways mysterious. I do not fully understand it. I don't think many people do. But what we see in the Bible is that besides creation and the cross, uh, all the amazing things that we have seen God do in the past 2,000 years, he has done through people with big faith attempting big things through the power of a big God. I was reminded of this when I was reading through Hebrews chapter 11 this week in preparation for this message. If you don't know, Hebrews 11 is the faith chapter, and in it he gives example after example of some Old Testament stories where people use faith to kinda unlock the power of God. If you're kinda kicking the tires of Christianity, you might, you might not know all of these stories, that's okay. But listen, and he says this, it was by faith that Noah built a large boat to save his family from the flood. He obeyed God who warned him about things that had never happened before. It was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and go to another land that God would give him as an inheritance. He went without knowing where he was going. It was by faith that the people of Israel went right through the Red Sea as though they were on dry ground. It was by faith that the people of Israel marched around Jericho for seven days and the walls came crashing down. How much more do I need to say? 
It would take too long to recount the stories of the faith of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and all the prophets. By faith, these people overthrew kingdoms. They ruled with justice and received what God had promised them. They shut the mouths of lions. They quenched the flames of fire and they escaped death by the edge of the sword. Their weakness was turned to strength. They became strong in battle and put whole armies to flight. Women received their loved ones back again. From, the de- from death. This is what faith can do. Faith unlocks the power of God like nothing else can. But here's the thing about living a life of faith. The Bible clearly shows us that it's kind of up to us how many of those miracles and wonders we get to experience. Like when it comes to faith, the Bible kind of says the ball's in your court. And we kind of get to decide how much of that power and change and transformation we get to experience. And it's dependent on whether or not we are willing to take steps of faith. It's like when uh, Jesus was walking on the water and Peter goes out to meet him. Jesus stood where he was, but it was up to Peter to take those steps of faith. So what we see in the Bible is that Jesus stands ready to do amazing things in you and through you. Jesus is ready and willing to do amazing things in and through our church, but it's gonna take taking big steps of faith to see that happen. And so what I wanna do this week is show you what big faith is all about, actually show you an example of big faith in action, and then we're gonna uh, talk about a tangible next step, a big step of faith that we believe God is calling our church to right now. So big faith is actually really hard to, uh, to, to uh, describe and explain with words. It's actually a lot easier to show, it, show you it in action. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to Luke chapter seven. We're gonna be in the first 10 verses. You know in the Bible, only two times does it say that Jesus was amazed. There's only two times where Jesus kind of stopped dead in his tracks and was in awe. It says he marveled. And both of those instances have to do with faith. So let's read about the first one. It says this, when Jesus had finished saying all this to the people, uh, he returned to Capernaum. At that time, the highly valued slave of a Roman officer was sick and near death. And when the officer heard about Jesus, he sent some respected Jewish elders to ask him to come and heal his slave. So they earnestly begged Jesus to help the man. If anyone deserves your help, he does, they said, for he loves the Jewish people and even built a synagogue for us. So Jesus went with them, but just before they arrived at the house, the officer sent some friends to say, Lord, don't trouble yourself by coming to my home, for I'm not worthy of such an honor. I'm not even worthy to come and meet you, but just say the word from where you are and my servant will be healed. I know this because I am under the authority of my superior officers and I have the authority over my soldiers. I only need to say go and they go or come and they come. And if I say to my slaves, do this, they do it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. Turning to the crowd that was following him, he said, I tell you, I haven't seen faith like this in all Israel. And when the officer's friends returned to his house, they found the slave completely healed. Isn't that a cool story? It says that Jesus was amazed at this guy's faith. But honestly, the first time I read this story, I was kind of confused. Like it seems just like every other story of Jesus healing someone that we read about in the Gospels. It's kind of hard to pick out what made this man unique. At first glance, you think that it's because uh, this guy believed that Jesus could heal his servant from a distance. But we see other people believing that a few times in the Gospels, so that can't be it. 
So I spent a lot of time reading and rereading this story, and I don't think I got to the bottom of it, but I think I found some things that when you put the pieces of this puzzle together, what emerges is a picture of some pretty bold and big faith. The first thing that I saw is that this man had costly faith. See, this guy was a Roman. He was not Jewish, and Jesus actually points that out. Um, he, he, he does that on purpose. You see, Romans believed in a ton of different gods and goddesses. So there's the pantheon that we know about, uh, but not only that, there were hundreds if not thousands of more personal deities that people worshiped. And every single city had their own god or goddess. So did every town, so did every household, uh, so did every shop, so did every inn, so did every, um, so did every trade. So I can't fully explain how much a part of daily life and really manners and respect this, this, this deity worship was. So to believe in one God at this time was not only ridiculous or preposterous, but it was also pretty offensive and it was risky. Like back in those days, if you were that guy that believed in one God and all the crops failed and all the cows died that year, who do you think the town's chasing with pitchforks and torches? You, right? So it cost him on a societal level, not only that, but it says that this guy actually built a synagogue in Capernaum. So this guy used his time, this guy, guy used his actual money, his finances, his treasure to build up God's kingdom. And his Roman friends would have thought this was crazy and maybe even a little treasonous. Like the Romans and the Jews didn't exactly get along, but he did it anyway because his faith was costly. And when one of his servants gets sick, he did something even crazier. We see that he had selfless faith. And I honestly think this is the main reason that Jesus was amazed at this. You see, in the other healing stories, uh, when, when people ask Jesus for a healing, they're usually asking for themselves or for a close relative or a close friend. And that's not wrong, okay? The Bible actually says we should do that. We should ask God to heal us. Um, but this man went beyond that, and he asked Jesus not to heal a close friend, but to heal one of his many servants. And you see, back in Roman times, uh, masters and servants weren't exactly friends. Servants were kind of the lowest of low. And he probably had dozens of servants, and he could have had this one of many servants replaced at no cost to himself, but his big faith caused him to see this single servant's uh, plight, and then he uses his faith to step out on behalf of this servant. So we sent some of the Jewish elders to ask Jesus to heal this guy, and when they asked Jesus, we can see that he had expectant faith. This dude makes a bold ask, and he fully expects that Jesus is gonna answer it. You know, he, he's not just asking, will you heal somebody? What he's basically asking is, will, will you heal the servant of your enemy? That's what he's asking. That's a bold ask. And you know, that's one of the easiest ways to see how big your faith really is. What sort of things do you ask God for? What sort of things do you request from God in your prayers? Our prayer life reveals how big we think God really is. Like, if God had answered all of your prayers in the past seven days, like just this past week, if God had said yes to everything that you would ask him for in prayer, would the world be a different place? Like, would people be healed? Would men and women have been saved? Uh, would marriages and families have been redeemed and restored? Would lost people groups all over the world have heard and responded to the gospel? Would neighborhoods and workplaces and cities be changed? Or would a few meals be blessed to the nourishment of your body? Or would you have received some traveling mercies, whatever that is, for a few car rides? Or would nothing have happened? 
would nothing have changed because you haven't asked God for anything in seven days. And I'm not trying to make you feel bad. We just have to be honest. What you ask God for reveals what you think God can do. And this guy made a bold ask. And we see that when he asks, we also see that he has humble faith. See, when the Jewish elders go and make this request from Jesus, they're like, Jesus is never gonna say yes to a Roman officer. And so they put a little spin on the story. They say, hey, this guy is a worthy man. This is a respected man. He built a synagogue for us. If anyone deserves your help, he does. But when this man hears that's what the Jewish elder said, he sends out some close friends to make a correction. And basically he goes to Jesus and says, no, 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 they got it wrong. I'm not worthy. I am not worthy for you to enter my house. I'm not even worthy to meet you. I'm not worthy to be in your presence. But I know that you have this amazing habit of doing incredible things for unworthy people. You can do whatever you want for whoever you want. You see, he knew that when it came to faith, when it comes to seeing miracles happen, he didn't really matter. He knew that his limitations in no way limited God, right? There's a sermon right there, but that, that's humble faith. And then we see that he had, lastly, limitless faith. He knew that there was a limit to what he could accomplish, but there was no limit to what God could do. He says, Jesus, you don't even have to come here to heal this servant. That's what, that's what humans have to do. They have to go and make a diagnosis. Then they have to figure out the best course of treatment. Then they have to administer the medicine. Then they have to see how the patient responds, but not you. You know exactly what's wrong with this servant, and you just say the word, and he can be healed in this moment. And there's probably more in this story that I'm missing, but when you put these things together, costly, selfless, expectant, humble, limitless, you begin to see a picture of some big, huge, audacious faith. This is the type of faith that amazes Jesus. But as important as this man's faith is, what's more important is Jesus' response. How does Jesus respond to this type of faith? Well, it's easy. He heals the servant. He answers his requests. And in the Bible, that's what we see every single time. There is never a story in the Bible where someone goes to God in faith and walks away disappointed, never. What we see in the Bible is that faith somehow, some way unlocks and unleashes the power of God. Like when Jesus gets around faith, he just jumps into action. Like when white people hear the electric slide, they just jump to action. That's Jesus around faith, right? And in the Gospels, faith is portrayed as kind of like this on switch, all right? It's, it's the nozzle that, uh, that turns on the power hose of God's power. You wanna hear a crazy story? It's in the next chapter in Luke. It says Jesus uh, is going and traveling to heal someone else, there's this huge crowd pressing in on them. You've probably heard this story before. And there's a woman that's been sick for a few decades, and she gets it in her mind, if I can just touch Jesus, I will be healed. And so she gets on her hands and knees, and she reaches out in faith and touches the hem, the very bottom part of the coat that Jesus is wearing. And look what happens. Jesus immediately says, who touched me? And everyone denied it, and Peter said, Master, this whole crowd is pressing up against you. But Jesus said, no, no, someone deliberately touched me, for I felt healing power go out from me. And so the woman kind of stands up and is like, it's me, thanks for healing me. <laughs> and he says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. That's a crazy story. It says that when the woman reached out in faith and touched his robe, the power just sort of left him. It's kind of like Jesus had no idea 
what happened. Faith reached out and his healing reflex just kind of kicked in. And it's stories like this and other stories in the Gospel of Luke where Luke's kind of trying to say, hey, God's response to faith is so reliable that it might as well be an involuntary reflex. That's a crazy statement. Wanna see something even crazier? We're gonna look at the second story where it says that Jesus was amazed, where he was kind of stopped dead in his tracks. And it's in Mark 6. It's when Jesus starts his ministry and does some cool stuff and his fame's kind of building. And then he goes back to his hometown. And the town is kind of having a meeting and one of the guys is like, hey, do we really think that this guy is the Messiah? It says they scoffed. He's just a carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon. And his sisters live right here among us. They were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. Then Jesus told them, a prophet is honored everywhere except in his hometown and among his relatives and his own family. Listen to this. And because of their unbelief, he couldn't do any miracles among them except place his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. He was amazed at their lack of faith. But the real crazy part is verse five, isn't it? Where it says, and because of their lack of faith, he couldn't do any miracles except heal a few sick people. That's a crazy verse. It says that faith is so important and it's so key to God working that when it's not present, Jesus can't perform miracles. Now, don't get up and leave, okay? Surely that verse can't mean that. I mean, we're talking about Jesus. Jesus can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants. This is God that we're talking about. So I got out some commentaries. I talked to some wise people. I read some scholarly articles. You wanna know what that verse really means? Me too. (laughs) I have no idea what it really means. I don't fully understand this. I don't think that it means that Jesus literally could do no miracles, but it's obvious that he didn't, that he chose not to, and that where faith is absent, he won't. Now we're getting to a place in this mysterious union between our faith and God working where it's easy to slip down a slippery slope and kind of fall off a cliff. Uh, I had a mentor growing up named Scott, and he was really instrumental in my early marriage, just kind of teaching me the ropes. And years ago, his wife got cancer, and not his wife, his mom got cancer. And she went to a a church that taught that if she had enough faith um, and she expressed that faith in certain words, that God would absolutely give her health and wealth and what? Prosperity. And there's lots of people that teach that. Um, In fact, if you ever go to the Christian bookstore and you see a big smiling face on the front cover, I wouldn't buy that book. In fact, I'd hide it from other people. But because she so firmly believed that her faith would heal her, she didn't go to any doctor's. She didn't do any chemotherapy, no surgeries. Um, and she got sicker and sicker. And she felt more guilty and more guilty. Why don't, I have, why don't I have enough faith? What's wrong with me? Am I in sin? And eventually she died. So we don't wanna go too far that way. All right, listen. God uses means to answer our prayers. Means like doctors and medicine and surgery, and chemotherapy. And just because he uses ordinary things to accomplish extraordinary things doesn't make it any any less miraculous. And we also know that Jesus doesn't always heal us physically when we ask him. He does always heal us spiritually when we ask him. That's what salvation is. 
So we don't wanna go too far that way, but we also don't want the pendulum to swing too far the other way where we never cry out for God to heal and we never cry out for God to intervene and we never step out in faith and we never attempt bold things and risk for the sake of the gospel because we think, well, what will be will be. And God's gonna do what he's gonna do regardless of what we do because that's equally false and that's equally dangerous. So we're on tricky ground. And there's a balance somewhere in here, but I think that taking all of these stories of faith into account and all the gospels that we read, it's safe to say this, that where faith is expressed, God moves. Where faith is expressed, God will move. And it's impossible to predict exactly how, and it's rarely in a way that we would expect, but faith does somehow access a certain power from God that simply isn't available until we believe and we act. When you step out in faith, God moves. If you don't, he won't. And I think that's why so few of us are experiencing the fullness of what God wants for us in our lives right now. Like I read these verses in Matthew 6 and I wonder if many of our lives are more like those in Nazareth and not like the officer in Capernaum. I mean, it, it does say that Jesus laid his hands on a few people and healed them. That in and of itself would have been pretty amazing. Like that would have been pretty good in my book. I would have been content with that. But Matthew points out that those few healings are like nothing to Jesus that he could have done so much more and they never got to experience it. Like how many of us are just content to experience the 1% of all that God wants to do in our marriages and in our finances and in our church and in our world? Like do you know, do you really know all that God could do in your marriage right now? Do you know, like really know all that God could do like in your school right now? Do you know what God could do in you and through you or in our church and through our church in our city and in our world? The answer is no. You have no idea all that God could do. And the Bible says that we serve a God that can do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine. So your most audacious dream would be barely scratching the surface of all that he could do. And I was thinking about this Good Friday. We just celebrated that. And I was reading through the Gospels um, accounts of that, just kind of rehearsing that sort of stuff so I could kind of get in the moment. And Jesus' final words really stuck out to me on the cross. You know what he said? It is finished. And I wrote in my journal, he said, it is finished. He didn't say, I am finished. He was just getting started. And I think that's where most of us are at when it comes to our marriages and our jobs and our parenting. Jesus is like, I'm just getting started. I can do more, I can do so much more if you'll just take that step of faith, if you'll just uh, believe that I am who I say that I am and can do what I say that I can do. Like that's God's desire. But if we wanna see God work, if we wanna have big faith, if we wanna have faith that amazes Jesus and see him respond in a way that amazes us, there's just some stuff that we're gonna have to come to grips with. Like here's the cool thing, I don't even need to tell you what your next step of faith is. It's that thing that you've been avoiding thinking about for the past 20 minutes. <laughs> it's that thing that God's been asking you to do for a year or five years or decades. It's that family member you need to reach out to. It's that coworker you need to share the gospel with. It's you need to start giving to the church or serving, whatever it is. There's certain things that you have to come to grips with before you take that step. So listen, every single step of faith, it's gonna be scary, all right? It is scary to take steps of faith. And if you wait until you're not gonna feel any fear before you take that step of faith, 
you're never gonna take that step. And I think we have this wrong idea that when I'm living a life of faith, I'm not gonna feel fear. I just don't feel at peace about it. You ever hear Christians say that? When we stepped out in 2014 to start a church in the mountains of Asheville, I felt anything but peace. I was scared out of my mind. I was like a long-tailed cat in a room full of rocking chairs. For like two full years, I was shaken in my boots. And big faith will put you in scary situations. It is scary to share the gospel with someone. It's scary to go to marriage counseling for the first time. It's scary to confess sin. It's scary to admit that you have an addiction. But I learned a long time, don't let fear decide your future. That is not the type of life that God wants you to lead. And when you're, when you're almost about to do something that kind of squares, scares the guano out of you, you're probably in the right spot, right? Because if you're not scared, that means you're playing it safe. If you can accomplish all of your dreams without ever being afraid or in your own power, God would say, you probably need bigger dreams. So you're gonna be afraid. And I think what we're really afraid of is the unknown. It's not knowing. And what I found is that God will often give you step one and then wait for you to take step one before he gives you step two. And then wait for you to take step two before he gives you step three. Like, we want the whole travel itinerary, right? We want the end destination, all the restaurants along the way, and God often just says, that way. And this drives me crazy because I wanna know. I wanna be in control, I wanna plan. Like, there's nothing inside of me that just naturally says, Jesus, take the wheel. Everything inside of me says, Jesus, give it back. You're freaking me out, right? And there's always gonna be this question of what if? What's gonna happen? What's the, gonna, what's, what's the result gonna be? As the saying goes, you gotta step out to find out. Like when we start campuses here at Hope, we do our research, we do demographic studies, and we pick the perfect locations, and we get the best leaders that we possibly can, an amazing launch team, but when the day comes to launch the church, we don't know. We have no idea what's gonna happen, and that's what leading with big faith requires. You gotta be comfortable with no guarantees. And I think the biggest question that stops us from living a life of faith it's not the what if, but what if I fail? What if I mess it up? What if I share the gospel and they say no and slap me? <laughs> what if I ask her out and she throws up a little in her mouth, right? What if I fail? You wanna hear, our college students over there, what if I hear, <laughs> you wanna hear the best bad news ever? You've already failed. <laughs> I'm a failure, you're a failure. At the most important thing that you could ever mess up, Life, that's what the cross means. You couldn't do it, so Jesus had to. And that stings a little bit, but it's also kind of freeing. <laughs> like, I've already failed. What's one more minor, minor fa failure to add to the list, right? You know, people said Peter failed. When he got out of the boat, he took a few steps and then he started sinking. He failed. I would rather us be Peter sinking in the water than the other 11 that never got out of the boat. A lot of times, uh, we'll try something as a church and we'll believe that God's in this, he's called us to this, and so we'll plan and we'll plot and we'll start something. We'll be like, man, that crashed and burned. That was a failure. But, but we did learn one thing, and then we'll try it again, 
And we're like, that wasn't a failure, that was mediocre. Okay, we're getting better. And time after time, we try and we try and we try, we risk failure, and eventually all of that failure leads to some success. And God uses that failure. It's like that song that we sing, you turn graves into gardens, right? You turn seas into highways. It's like Sam, our worship leader, he sings when you're not around, you turn pigs into bacon, all right? God can take some bad stuff and turn it into success. And strangely, success is another thing that can stop us from stepping out in faith. You see, this is what makes big faith hard for a church like Hope. The more accomplished you are, the harder it is to step out in faith. It's just way easier to rely on your own strength and your own wisdom when they're paying off in the present. Because if we're honest, right now we're kind of at a place where we don't really have to risk failure. We don't really have to do scary things and we would still have a good thing going from the outside. You know, uh, Outreach Magazine has a top 100 list every single year, and it's the top 100 churches and, and, um, as far as growth, size, and reproduction. Uh, we at Hope are on the, all three lists every single year. Uh, this year, we're the top 28th uh, largest church in America. And when a global pandemic hit, nothing changed. In fact, we grew because we launched our online ministry. And that sounds great, but when you're talking about big faith, that's about the scariest and most dangerous place you can be. Because there's this tendency, there's this pull to take less and less steps of faith and just remain content where you are. Lots of churches experience this when the baton is passed from the first generation to the second generation. The faith that got them there is not the faith that sees them through. And so we're in this critical time in our history where if we don't keep flexing our faith muscle, if we don't keep exercising it, it's just gonna atrophy. And so uh, we, want, we want big, bold, audacious faith to be a part of who we are in the next 25 years, right? You guys want that? So when all's said and done, when, I, when my time here at Hope is done, when I slide into heaven, I don't wanna slide in there wondering about miracles that I might have missed. I don't wanna be up in heaven wondering about a move of God that I could have experienced, but I let contentment and I let fear get in the way. Like when I slide into heaven, I want a big smile on my face and just saying, wow, did you see what God did down there? We just took a few steps of faith. We just risked a little bit, but look at what the Lord has done. You guys wanna be a part of something like that? You guys wanna go along for the ride with me? Well, we're gonna share with you a big step of faith that we believe God is calling us to at this moment. So please welcome to the stage an amazing leader and an even better friend, Jason Gore. Man, Chase, thank you so much for talking to us about what it means uh, to lead with big faith. In a moment, uh, I'm gonna talk to you all about a big step of faith that, that God is calling us into as a church. But before that, I wanna let you know, as a leadership team over the last six to 12 months, we've been spending some time just seeking God and saying, God, what is the next step that you would have us take uh, as a congregation as it relates to impact here in the triangle? But before I tell you about that, to really set the stage, I know I just walked out here, but I want you to take a moment and watch this story. In December, we did have a young person in our building, uh, 16 years old, um, and she had been with us for a while, had been in foster care for some years, um, and we were struggling to identify a placement that was suitable for her. She had spent both Thanksgiving and would potentially be spending Christmas in the building without a family. Um, the thought of her spending the holidays 
in an office it was heartbreaking knowing that um, I would be spending the holidays with my family. The weight of that just was heavy. It was heavy on my heart and it was something that um, I shared with my small group and just asking for prayers for myself to stay strong and for guidance um, into how to best help her. Listening to her prayer request, it was more than just wanting to pray for her. We wanted to do something. What could we do for this child? I, I think we instantly all wanted to sign up to be a foster parent, honestly. So we'll take her, but we couldn't. We can't meet her, we can't talk to her. Uh, there's barely anything that we felt that we could do. But we could pray for her, and we could make sure that she knew that there were people who were praying for her. Many of our families do not have suitcases, and the only way for that child to bring in um, some of their belongings with them is in a trash bag. Um, that is all that's available for them to be able to collect some things last minute to bring from home. We decided to put together a little gift bag. She can't take much with her. She can't keep much with her. She's literally staying in an office. So a few people donated a couple of things, wrote a little note, sent it with Diamond who is able to interact with her and she took it to her there um, at the office. It wasn't the gift, it was the note that was attached to the gift that said that we're praying for you. Um, that meant a lot to know that someone is someone who doesn't know me is taking the time to mention my name to the Lord. So a few weeks after this happened, Diamond let our small group know that not only did this gift mean a lot to the young girl that we sent it to, uh, but she actually thought if these people who've never met me were willing to send this gift, surely more people might do something if only they knew about this need. So she took it upon herself to call the news for them to air a story that said, hey, if more people were willing to do something like this, or if more people were knew about this need, maybe this would solve the problem and I wouldn't be struggling to find a placement. Now this young lady is in a great place. Um, she is safe, she is cared for, her needs are being met. She's stable and she's been in that same placement for a while. Um, I spoke with her Friday and she is so excited that she can finally like make plans for her future and that she's starting to um, set goals for herself and that she feels like she can do that again because her basic needs are met. This very little thing that we did, it's inconsequential compared to what it is that God can do and what God did do in the life of this girl because of this one decision that we made, this very small gift bag, this one little note. What God has taken and done with that has given a teenager significance and has allowed for other people's hearts to be moved towards what he needed their hearts to be moved to. Isn't that a great story? Yeah. James 1.27, it says this, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after, to care for orphans and widows. Uh, I want to tell you one story uh, from two different perspectives here, okay? Over here, you've got a 13-year-old girl, okay? And let's say it's Monday afternoon, 4 p.m., there's a knock on the door. They open the door, uh, someone walks in and says, young lady, I'm, I'm terribly sorry to have to, to tell you this, but we're going to have to take you from your home and from your family and we're gonna take you to a house that you've never been to, to a family of whom you've never met. And if you have anything that you wanna bring, you can put it in a bag, but if you don't have a bag, we did bring a trash bag that you can put everything in, and so they do that and they go on their way. Press pause. Same day, Monday afternoon, maybe 30 minutes earlier, 3.30 in the afternoon, a 41-year-old man and a woman, they get a phone call and says, hey, uh, Mr. and Mrs. So-and-so, uh, sometime this evening around 6 p.m., we're gonna be bringing a 13-year-old girl to your home that you've never met, and she's gonna be in your foster care. 
And sometime between 2.30 in the afternoon and around dinner time, this family has to find a way to get off of work and get to Target somewhere where they can pick up some things that they can have in the home that a 13-year-old girl is gonna feel comfortable with the moment that she walks in the door. At some point around 6 p.m., these two narratives and all of the trauma that goes along with it, they come together and they meet for the very first time. And that is the foster care situation in Wake County right now. And I don't tell you that because there's bad biological parents because the foster care system is broken and don't have people that work hard. I don't tell you that because there's bad foster parents. Certainly there's nothing wrong with these children. I tell you this because it's incredibly hard. There are 472 young people in foster care right now in Wake County. And then there's this verse. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this to look after orphans and widows in their distress. Now, uh, you know hope, you know we're a little bit of a crazy place. There are people out here right now thinking, my goodness gracious, this guy's gonna come up here and try to get everybody at hope to adopt a foster kid this week. We're not doing that. Some of you are like, goodness gracious, I came to Easter last weekend because somebody invited me, it was a great service. I came back and they tried to get me to take a kid and I'm never going back to that church ever again. That's not what we're doing. But there is something that we can do. You might say, Jason, man, this thing sounds big. You just said 472 kids. Uh, this sounds messy and that the government's job. Is there really anything that we can do? And I want you to hear me say this. Yes, there is something that you can do. Uh, there is a church in Uganda. It's called Watoto. Okay, it's a church of 20,000 people. Uh, we've got some great friends that are on staff here at Hope Now, and they used to be on staff at Watoto. Doug Strider, Morrisville campus pastor. Shout out to our Morrisville campus. Dawn Stride, his wife, she's actually the executive director of our ministry strategy here at Hope. Uh, works on the lead team with me. Uh, incredibly brilliant family. Love the Lord. Uh, they've been here at Hope for about eight years. They used to be on staff there in the 80s. Uganda was at the epicenter of the AIDS crisis. And during that time, there was like a 27% infection rate that led to a massive orphan crisis. Watoto Church began rescuing parentless, abandoned children one at a time. And over 27 years, they rescued thousands of children and put them in loving, caring communities and homes. And they gave them an education and they were raised up to be leaders and change agents in their community. Uganda, the entire country of Uganda is a different nation today because one church said that we're gonna meet a need in our community. And Hope Community Church, right here at all of our campuses, if you're watching at gethope.tv, if you're watching this online on social media, if you call Hope Home, our vision is to reach the triangle and to change the world. And instead of asking the question, can we really do anything? I think the question that we've gotta ask is, can we really not do anything? And so here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna take a step of big faith. Uh, we are going to be partnering with leadership at Wake County Child Welfare, and we're going to be launching a new initiative in partnership with them called Fostering Hope. And I'll tell you, we don't have it all figured out, but oftentimes when you're following after God and you're leading with big faith, sometimes you have to go before you fully know. And so we're gonna go. Uh, we believe that there are things that we can do. And through our partnership, we've identified two key areas that we're gonna focus on. One, we're gonna focus on the children, all right? And secondly, we're gonna focus on the foster families. Ideally, one day, we'd love to be involved enough to be able to invest in the biological families. We're just not there yet. That's gonna take some time. But just imagine with me for a minute. Let's take the stories that we started out with. You've got this 13-year-old girl over here, but could you imagine if she shows up for the first time into her foster family and the foster family is able to give her a duffel bag 
And on that duffel bag, uh, it says, you belong across the side. And inside is filled with toiletries and clothes and things that she needs, maybe things that she's never had, but she can call them her own to take with her wherever she goes. And then what if this foster family over here? I mean, oftentimes it's one hour, two hours notice, but what if they knew that there was a small group, maybe a small group from Hope Community Church that knew that they were standing, they were ready to say, listen, when you get that phone call, you let us know, and we're on the hook to make sure every tangible need that you have is ready to go. And not only that, but we're gonna support you. We're gonna be your biggest cheerleaders so that you can know you can focus primarily on building a relationship with this child that she's gonna need so that she can thrive. Listen, long term, you know, our goal is always going to be to get families back together. It's always going to be to figure out a way to prevent families from splitting up. We're not there yet, but right now we know that we can invest in these children and we can invest in these families. So what's the playbook? What's the game plan? This weekend, you can get involved with Fostering Hope. Here's what we're going to do. At all of our campuses, we have already purchased 500 duffel bags that say you belong on the side. We've purchased 100 diaper bags. They're spread out across all of our physical campuses. When you leave today, take a bag, fill a bag. So you will take a bag. There's a list on that, on that uh, a purchase list uh, that's appropriate. It's specific for age and for gender. You go out, you buy the things that go in the bag. You put the items in the bag. You bring the bag back. Very simple. If you're watching online, gethope.tv, or if you're at a physical campus and we have ran out of bags, which will happen because that's who Hope Community Church is. You're not gonna have a chance. We've got a website for you, gethope.net slash fosteringhope. You go to that website. Uh, you can see the shopping list, the supplies list that you can still purchase and that you can bring. You can sign up to volunteer to help sort through different things, to transport the bags. You can give financially through that page. Uh, and let me just tell you this. We've already purchased these bags, okay? These things are paid for. But you need to know that Hope Community Church can do what it does. The ministry, everything from turning the lights on to the ministry that we do like this in the community. It all happens because of the generosity of people who call Hope Community Church home. And so uh, maybe you're new to Hope. Maybe you've been here for a little while, but you haven't jumped in the game yet financially. Maybe this is an opportunity for you to take a step of faith and jump in. But, and you might think, well, listen, I don't know, man. I don't know the church very well. Uh, I don't feel good about giving to a church. Listen, if you give through this page, every single penny that you give will go directly to Fostering Hope. This is about the community. This is about the impact that we believe God wants us to have. It's not about hope. So know that. Lastly, if you're connected to the foster system at all, we want to build a network. We want to help you get connected with other folks who call Hope Home. And so if you are a social worker, if you are a foster family, if you actually grew up and went through the foster care system, we would love to connect with you. Same thing. Go to that website, gethope.net slash fostering hope. You might be the person that God is calling to help us build this ministry out. Let's take a step of faith. Listen. Uh, our mission as a church, it's to love people right where they are. And you need to know there are children in our county right now that are wondering if there's anybody that knows where they are. Less invest in children who never ask to be in this situation, who never ask to wonder if they actually belong. I'm telling you, by fostering hope, we can reach the triangle and we can change the world. There is something that you can do, but we've got to start, and we've got to lead with big faith. Father, we lay this at your feet, and we've said to you, we will go where you call us to go. We will do what you call us to do, 
It's not about things making sense. It's not about things, um, it's not about us always having all the answers. But just when you reached out to us when we were at our worst and in our lowest moment, Lord, we know there were hurting and broken people all throughout Wake County, all in and around the triangle, and you have called us. Your word says, this is what religion before you looks like. It's to care for those who can't care for themselves. Would we be a church that leads with big faith in this community? Would we be a church that chases after everything that you've laid in from us that we can look back 10 years from now, 20 years from now and say, we saw a community and a world change because of what Jesus showed up and did and what he called us into? Would it be true? Lord, we love you. And we pray and ask all these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Thank you for listening to the Hope Podcast. We appreciate you joining us as we tackle issues facing our modern world from a biblical perspective. To make sure you don't miss a message, please take a moment and hit the subscribe button. Also, if you're new to Hope and want to check out what we're about and how to be a part of our community, go to our next steps at gethope.net slash next. Let us know your story because we'd love to connect with you.